John chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 9. John writes, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, this week is truly one of my favorite Um, but I'm excited about all the things that we're going to do this week that have become just a huge part of my and my family's celebration of Christmas. December 20th, 21st, and 22nd, we're going to do what? Living Nativity, 6.30 and 7.30. And that truly has become one of my most favorite things in all the world. It has become now for me that Dr. Dotson Nelson's voice really has become the voice of God in my head when I think about it. And I have to hear the Christmas story, and I see it portrayed, and, you know, likely I will find my way into the cast of characters at some point during the performances. But it's just one of those things that is just, again, it's a highlight of the year. December 24th, we're going all out this year because it's on a Sunday, so 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and then we'll have a family um, Christmas Eve communion candlelight service at 3, and then at 5 o'clock, our more traditional Christmas Eve candlelight communion service. We're going to go home on Christmas Day and celebrate with all my family in South Carolina. And so all of these things are just a high point. Somebody said, man, Christmas Eve, that's a lot. Don't you get tired? And I'm like, no. It's Christmas Eve for a preacher. Like, are you kidding me? This is the high point. Uh, and so all of these things are so exciting. And they're such a part of my Christmas celebration every year that if I'm not careful, it will kind of become wrote to me. And it kind of become one of those things that you do every year, and if you're not careful, you forget the reason why you do it. And you're going through the motions, and you've heard the story, and for me, I know the schedule of the week so well that, that sometimes I forget to listen anew to what God's saying to me, and to be reminded of the miracle of what it is that you and I celebrate this time of the year. The same can be true as I read the opening chapters of Luke's Gospel. Uh, Luke chapters 1 and 2 can become kind of commonplace because I've read them so many times and I know what's coming. Luke starts out his Gospel with two birth announcements, the first to Zechariah, so an older man who is on his ship as priest in the temple. And what happens? Do you remember? Gabriel the angel comes and appears to him and he says, hold your hat, Zechariah, um, you're going to have a baby. Your wife, Elizabeth, who's been barren for all these years, it may seem highly improbable to you, but guess what? You're going to have a kid. And Zechariah responded probably much the way you and I might have responded if we were in that moment with a certain amount of disbelief and kind of dumbfounded, like, what? How, how's this going to happen? And Gabriel kind of reprimands him a little bit for his disbelief, and he says, uh, just so you remember, I'm Gabriel, um, and I'm coming down with this message, and you should believe it just because I said it. So 
But since you didn't, you're going to be mute until the day that your son is born. And you might remember that scene. He comes out of the temple, and he's just like, and everybody's like, something happened. Like, this is significant, right? And then Gabriel, the same angel, visits whom? Mary. On the other end of the spectrum, we might say, in terms of age and experience in life. And he gives a similar message, and he says, uh, guess what, Mary? You're going to have a kid. And for different reasons, she's kind of like, how's this going to be? Because if it's improbable for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's technically speaking impossible for Mary. Um, she says, uh, how's this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. And so the angel Gabriel responds to what is you know, a very good question and objection. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, she's also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month of her who was barren. And then verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary says, okay, let it be to me as you have said, and we know through the series of events, God makes good on his promises both to Elizabeth and Zechariah, and before we know it, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ are born into the world. Now, some of you could have gotten up here and rehearsed that story just as easily and well as I did. Because you heard that story, maybe, like, you probably can't count the number of times you've heard that story perhaps read over you or spoken or described to you over the years. And I have often been in the situation where I've listened to that story or I've come to the limitivity and I've peered into the manger scene and I've thought about that story kind of as a distant story that's only related to me insofar as Jesus the Savior came into the world. But I felt kind of distance from the experience of Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth. But the, Lord, the Lord's been at work in my heart this past week as I've been studying John chapter 1. Um, I told the first service that I was fired up to come to church this morning, um, in part because Johnny Simpson was baptized in the first service, and so we have a baptism service. I'm always excited to be at church. But also that this past week that the Lord's been speaking to my heart through this passage and has reminded me anew that, that Mary's story, this miracle of what God did in Mary's womb, is my story. And the Holy Spirit obviously hasn't done this work of new birth in my womb, but he has done this work of new birth in my heart. And much like the Holy Spirit came upon Mary so that she might bear Jesus Christ as her son, so he's come into my heart by the power of his Holy Spirit and done something that is just as miraculous in my heart. Listen again to how John talks about it in John chapter 1. And remember, we had just talked last week about John the Baptist, that John the Baptist came into the world to bear witness to the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. And so then John says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. So you remember we started in John chapter 1, verse 1, and John gives us this really elevated view of who Jesus is, that he is, he was God, he was with God, he was in the beginning with God, all things were created through him, that we got that here back into Genesis chapter 1 to know that the God who created all things is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now John says that God, God the Son, stepped down into the world that he had created. But the world did not know him. He went to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. And that word receive just means to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Messiah who has come into the world. And we know from reading the Gospel accounts that Jesus did, in fact, come as the Messiah, and he was rejected to the point of being crucified on the cross. And so John's recounting this history of the Incarnation, that the one who spoke all things into creation stepped into creation, and he was ultimately rejected by most everyone. And then John talks about another group of people who responded to Christ differently. Listen again to what John says. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, so to all who did recognize him as the Christ, to all who did confess that Jesus is Lord, he gave the right, and that word right, I, I circled it in my Bible because this past week I was working on understanding like, what does it mean that he gave us the right? And other translation, one other translation, the New Revised Standard Version would translate that word power. That he, he gave them the power to become the children of God, who were born how? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, so here's the thing. The people who saw Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior of the world, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, gave them the ability or the right to become children of God. And so, so often as I've thought about this idea of us being children of God, I've usually thought of it in terms of us being adopted into God's family, which is a huge category in the New Testament to describe what God has done for us in Christ by adopting us into his family so that now you and I pray to him as our Heavenly Father. But when I read John chapter 1 this week, and I thought about what the angel Gabriel said to Mary, I was reminded that in John chapter 1, it's not just that God has adopted us into his family, but, but it's that God has brought life into our hearts so that we might be born again as the children of God. Now that phrase, born again, pops up in John chapter 3 in a pretty famous conversation between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. Do you remember this story? Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he says, all right, I probably shouldn't be here, kind of idea, but I know that, I know that you're come, you've come from God because of the things that you're doing. Like, I'm paying attention to what's happening, and nobody could do these things except they were from God. And then Jesus engages him in a conversation about being born again. Like, I don't think Nicodemus bargained for what was about to come at him when Jesus taught him this, and he says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus 
starts thinking very literally, he says, I'm not sure how that's possible. Uh, I don't think I can re-enter and come out again, right? He's thinking very elementary, elementary, and Jesus responds, he says, I can almost Jesus being like, good grief. All right, listen, this is what I mean. He says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you think back to that conversation that Gabriel had with Mary, and she says, how's this going to happen? Humanly speaking, at this point, it is impossible and the angel responds to her and says, not, okay, this is how it's going to work, but, but you're right. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you and something is going to be birthed in you that, that you didn't make happen on your own. Not by blood, not by the will of the flesh, not by the will of man, but God's going to do this work in you. And here's the thing that, that I've come to wrestle with and appreciate, I think, anew and stand in amazement that that God has done that same work in my heart. That humanly speaking, I didn't understand or come to believe that Jesus is the Christ just because I was born into the right family or I'm smarter than anybody else or I kind of went back into the Old Testament and put together all the traces and hints. And, but instead, as I grew up in this little small church in rural South Carolina, and I heard the gospel proclaimed faithfully week in and week out. At some point, God, by the power of his spirit, brought new life into my heart where once there was no chance of life. And it's amazing to then look at Mary's story, not just as a story of how Christ was born into the world, but as a picture of my testimony and a picture of your testimony. That if you're here today and you are a person who has placed your faith in Christ as Savior and you confess that he is Lord of all creation and that he is your Redeemer, the thing that's happened in your heart and life is that God has done a miracle in your life. And you should be just as blown away at news of the virgin birth as you think about you being born again to a living hope through faith in Jesus Christ. So how do you, uh, what do you do with that news? One, I think you just marvel and rejoice at all that God's done um, in Christ, and you're humbled by the gift of salvation he's given you. Back in Gospel of Luke, you remember that passage we call the Magnificat, where Mary rejoices and breaks out in song, and she's kind of like, the Lord has done great things for me. I used to just kind of read that as Mary's song. And I think this week the Lord has shown me that, like, no, Wayne, that's your song. That the Lord has done great things for me. He has brought down those of high estate. He's humbled the lowly, and I am part of that group. That he has exalted those who place their faith in Christ, and it's not because they did it or figured it out or, humanly speaking, it worked out. But God, by the power of his Spirit, has done this work of new birth in me. And it, and it ought to just make you just rejoice. 
when you come live in Nativity and you look into the manger scene and you see those amateur actors stumbling through the rolls, okay, and you hear Dr. Nelson booming over, as you see that happen, I encourage you this year to see it not just as something that happened over 2,000 years ago to some people that you've never met, but I, I encourage you to ask the Lord to help you see that that's your story. That God came miraculously into your life to help you see and understand who Christ is and to respond in faith. So that now you are a child of God. And then the other thing is, I, I wrestle with the question of how do I help other people come to know this faith? How do I help them come to embrace Christ as their Savior? And the challenging part of that is that I don't have the power to impart life to people, correct? So what do I do? John chapter 3. This is, if this doesn't make you love the Bible, y'all, I don't, this has got to make you love the Bible. John chapter 3, here's what happens. So now they have a conversation. And Nicodemus is still kind of dumbfounded. He's kind of like, how does this work? Right? So Jesus, then he says, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? So now he's feeling really terrible about himself. Uh, no. Surely, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus goes back to the Old Testament in this kind of strange story, honestly, that these snakes are biting God's people, right? And so Moses is like, what in the world do I do? And he says, make this bronze serpent and lift it up, and those who look to it will be healed. Jesus says, ultimately, that's about me. That as I am lifted up and as people come to see me and know me, as I am as the Savior, those are the people who will have eternal and abundant life. So what do we do as a church, or what do we do as Christians to help others come to experience eternal and abundant life? We just point them to Jesus. We just say, hey, look at who God is as he's revealed himself most fully in the person of Jesus, and then you know what we do? We just pray. We pray that God would bring about new life in their hearts, that they would be born again to this same living hope that we've been born into. And so then that changes everything, I think, about how we think about the rest of this week. Uh, would I be thrilled if there's not enough space for all the people who came to live nativity? Would I just be like, or like Christmas Eve, we just packed in here, there's not enough room for everybody, and Mount Brick Police Department comes and threatens to shut us down on Christmas Eve because there's just so many people who want to come in here. And if that happens and we're just like, wow, that was a bunch of people, isn't that great? I'm pretty sure in a hundred years nobody will care. Right? Two hundred years. All new people. Two times over in <laughs> two hundred years. But the reason that that would be a good thing and the reason that it'd be worth you coming and inviting someone is that if we believe that we're holding out the good news of the gospel and we're lifting up Jesus 
and we're trusting and we're praying that God would do something way bigger and way more than just a service or a presentation, but that he would bring about new, eternal, and abundant life for people. That'd be a reason to get excited, and that'd be a reason to invite someone and celebrate in what we're doing. So, as you get ready to leave here in a minute, um, go uh, reminded that God, if you are here and you've placed your faith in Christ to see him as the Messiah, that God has done a miracle in your heart and life on the same order of magnitude of what he did in Mary's womb. And you ought to rejoice and just be filled with gratitude and gratefulness for who he is and what he's done for you. And then every chance you get, I want you to hold up Jesus. I want you to get everybody in your orbit as much as you can and point them to Christ and pray that God would do the same work in their life, even as he's done in your life. I'd like you to pray with me. God, we thank you for we thank you for this season of the year, and we thank you for we thank you for your word, your scriptures, because in them we read of our Savior. We pray that you would help um, help us to see the significance of all that you've done in our hearts and our lives. Help us to see the miracle of new birth that you've done in us through our faith in Jesus. We pray that that would move us to rejoice and worship and to live our lives in such a way that we are indebted and that we are full of gratitude for who you are and what you've done. And then I pray that you would help us as we are engaged with other people in our lives, that we would, that we would do everything that we can, knowing that we can't bring about new life, but that you can, and that we would just be faithful to point them to you. We pray that you would be gracious and merciful and bless our efforts. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.